Hello and welcome to the One Football Women's Podcast. Welcome back to the Women's One Football Podcast. There's been so much to digest and there has been so little time. There was a dramatic weekend in the WSL, but it's as you were at the top with Chelsea going down to 10, but still coming from behind to beat Spurs before Arsenal beat Everton. So we're just going to jump right into the Champions League semi-finals instead. I am delighted to join Anna, uh, be joined by sorry, Annika Becker today. Annika is an expert, I think it's fair to say, on German football and the Frauenbundesliga. And she has spent the weekend, like a lot of us, watching the Champions League semi-finals. Annika, how are you doing? I'm fine, uh, and uh, thanks for having me. <laughs> no, thank you so much for joining us. Let's kick off. I think we're going to have more to say about about Wolfsburg and Barcelona and, and Friday's semi-final. So let's kick off with Sunday instead and Lyon PSG. Firstly, just to get us started, really. Wendy Renard made history the first player to ever reach 100 Champions League or Women's Champions League appearances. I think a lot of people maybe... The audience for women's football obviously grew massively with the World Cup a couple of years ago and with it taking place in France. And we all know how legendary this Lyon side has been. But where does Renard in particular rank on like all-time great defenders in the women's game? Uh, well, for me personally, she's definitely one of the best players of all time, um, even if it's just for her consistency throughout her career. Um, I do think that she's lost a little bit of running speed and probably overall there's some younger players who have been catching up to her in the last couple of years, but she's very good at compensating that um, just with her experience and the way she positions herself on the pitch her ability to read the game as well. And, well, I mean, of course, she's also very famous for defending against set pieces or scoring from headers herself when she's on the attacking side of things. So personally, she's um, one of those players I'm so used to watch playing for all my life that I'll probably be a bit sad whenever she retires, like whenever that happens. So... Yeah, ranking, I don't know. I wouldn't go give out numbers like that. But um, if I had to put together a squad, um, she'd definitely be in there. And speaking of retirement and moving on and things like that, it sounds like she might leave Leon this summer, like her centre-half partner, Kadisha Buchanan. How big of a gap, how big of a challenge is that for Leon, who obviously seemed to be back on track this year after a disappointed season last year? to then just lose both of their starting centre-backs. Yeah, I mean, that would definitely be a problem for them, I think. Um, I think if you're planning ahead as a club, you kind of know that at some point um, you will have to replace Wendy Renard um, because of her age. And normally um, you'd want Buchanan to be that replacement because she's already there and she's super good. Um, they still have Mbok, um, who's also a top-class defender in my book. And... Um, they also have a very highly regarded talent um, in Alice Sombath, um, who joined them uh, from PSG um, at some point. Um, she's only 18 years old now. Um, so obviously you wouldn't want to put all the pressure on such a young talent immediately. 
Um, so they will need to bring in someone uh, on a transfer also just to be able to rotate if someone can't play or needs a break and stuff like that. Speaking of players who might be set to move on, we saw Marie Antoinette Katoto score another fine goal. Uh, it's all she yeah. seems to do is score again and again and again. Um, she opened the scoring on Sunday. When you've seen her, and especially in the Champions League, I guess, this season, how impressed have you been by just her, her general, her all-round play and on top of that, basically a, a record of a goal a game? Yeah, she's uh, she's a marvelous finisher, and um, what I find most impressive about her is that she's one of those um, strikers who can really change a game um, on her own and kind of out of nowhere. I mean, it's um, the opening goal. Um, they did that very well, uh, PSG. I thought um, they were uh, pressuring Lyon in their own half at this point, and I think it was. Debritz who won the ball. Um, she was the one to pass the ball to Katoto. And just the turn um, against uh, Renard in the box to uh, turn turn her in and um, go for the goal was world class. Um, she's only 23 years old as well. So any club signing her would have a real star in her for in their team for years. So for PSG to lose her would be a huge blow. As you say, she's 23 years old. This is the fifth or the sixth season in a row that she's averaging basically a goal a game. It's 40-odd goals in about 40 appearances in all competitions so far. Um, This season, if you include the the games with France as well, it's an absolutely absurd record. And then we're talking about a match, a semi-final, where the other team have the likes of... Obviously, Ada Hegerberg up front, she got an assist for for Leon. What did you make of? What did you make of the game? I think a lot of people saw poor defending. Did you see good attacking play from the likes of um, the likes of Hegerberg, the likes of Katoto, um, Macario, or did you see this as a game where both teams sort of left the pitch disappointed with how they defended? Mm, I think. I think it's um, a question of where you where you start to look at defense because I think what Lyon did was very clever um, the way they pressed so they started their defending um, which was part of um, it attacking very high on the pitch um, with Ada um, Hegerberg. Uh, being the one to initiate um, this press by running in on one of Paris's uh, centre-backs, um, Ilestet or Dudek. Um, and then by the movement she brought, uh, she kind of forced her opponent to play a pass uh, to the other centre-back. And the midfield behind Hegerberg then usually uh, positioned themselves in a way that they could intercept any forward passes made from that position. So and that's that's also what we saw happening a lot, that, um, that they just um, intercepted a ball and then they were 
kind of close to Paris's um, goal and they just didn't uh, need to move such a long way um, and could create chances from that. And I think Lyon will be a bit um, disappointed in what they actually made of those chances because I thought that they um, could have gotten more goals from this game. And I also had the feeling that Paris's backline was just a bit... I mean, they got more and more insecure because of that uh, throughout the game, um, uh, throughout uh, one phase especially. Um, but I also kind of had the feeling that they weren't really talking to each other. Um, mm -hmm. um, Votikova especially um, got very insecure by that because she sometimes didn't seem to know if her defenders are going for the ball or if she had to go for the ball, um, which is how we got that one um, one goal that was really a bit weird, um, where uh, I think it was Dudek and Votikova both didn't really know who should clear um, clear clear the situation. Yeah, so. I think it was a bit of both. I mean, obviously, yeah, um, there was there were situations where the defending wasn't good, but then on the other hand, if you count the high press as defending as well, there was also some very good defending to be seen um, in the match. So, with all of that in mind, and this this was the first time this season, really interestingly, that the two teams have played and the game has been close. I mean, there's been barely anything to separate them the last few years. And we saw Lyon early in the season win 6-1 in the league. PSG knocked them out of the cup. They beat them 3-0. With all of that in mind, and after such a close, intense first leg, going into you know, a perfect second leg situation, what do you expect to see on Saturday when they meet again? It's really hard to say. I mean, the match, um, the first leg we had was um, very unpredictable when you watched it. Um, I do think that Lyon are the more clever team and that they are in the better position because basically most for the most part, they just have to keep doing what they already did and then um, focus more on actually converting the chances that they get. Um, but on the other hand, PSG, um, they are just so efficient. Um, like we said about Katoto, um, she can get goals, uh, basically out of nowhere. Um, so you can't really count on not conceding against them, I think. Um, and they can't just lay back and do nothing for the offense, um, Lyon. Um, and from Paris's perspective, it's a bit more difficult because you can't really change all that much within a week. Um, but they definitely have to look into ways to beat Lyon's press more often, um, even if it's just maybe, I don't know, by a long ball and then bringing on the pressure um, up front themselves work for a quick turnover because that's what I think they are very good at and what makes them so uh, dangerous apart from set pieces. So that first leg took place in front of just over 22,000 people um, in Lyon. There was another huge crowd at Camp Nou for the Barcelona-Wolfsburg game on Friday, another record 91,000. What message does it send, do you think? How does it feel to see it when it's 
Camp Nou fall again, and it's not a one-off. It's not a gimmick, and it's also not a classico this time. Um, obviously, it's a semi-final instead of a quarter-final, but against Wolfsburg, like that's enormous, right? Yeah, I mean, as a fan, I was very happy. I was um, very hyped uh, for the match uh, all of the week, even though I'm not a Wolfsburg fan at all. Um, but just knowing that the crowd will be so big again um, got me really excited. And I think you could also see it uh, in the players' faces when um, the hymn was played and just everybody was smiling, no matter what team they were on. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, um, I think it was Alexia Putellas who before um, the Classico said something like, um, this will be the start of a new era for women's uh, football. And I think you can really see that. I mean, firstly, you can see it with the style that Barcelona play on the pitch, but you can also see it off the pitch because those fans, they... I. I had the feeling that they took all of this very seriously, like they understood um, or noticed that their club is taking all of this very seriously and they were honoring that. So they all showed up and they also, um, a lot of them stayed very long after, uh, after the match had ended and had a little celebration with the team also, um, which I thought was really, really nice that they showed the support after after the game as well. And I guess, is this what we expect now, at least from Barcelona? And we expect people around the continent to take notice and for the attendances to just go up and up, hopefully, on the back of it? Yeah, I mean, I hope so. I mean, um, I think you can really expect it from Barcelona and probably also other Spanish clubs. I think if um, Real Madrid, uh, for example, if they can get going, uh, can really get going, um, they could be in the uh, in a similar spot in a few years' time. Um, and for the rest of Europe, well, it kind of really depends on the country and what the uh, differing FAs are doing um, for this uh, sort of thing to happen. Um, I mean, obviously, I know uh, m the most about the situation in Germany and German fans are not happy on how the DFB, um, the FA here is mm -hmm. uh, treating the situation and what they are doing and not doing. Yeah, I mean, do you want to do you want to explain that as well a little bit more? So in England, for example, right now we we know that all of the England matches are sold out at the Euros. There's even been comments and complaints in the last week or two that some of the stadiums, of course, when they when you plan a tournament, you don't know what things are going to look like. Um, but some of the stadiums aren't big enough, and that more games should be put in bigger stadiums. It's too late to reorganize all of that ahead of the summer. Now, I think there's. A, this morning, there was around 20,000 tickets had been sold for the Women's FA Cup final between Chelsea and Manchester City coming up next month. Um, in Germany, I mean, I know a bit about the situation in terms of visibility and, and games being on television and the national team as well. Do you want to talk about what it is specifically that people aren't happy with? Yeah, I mean, um, visibility really is the key term here because um, you have from 
the start uh, uh, with the start of this season you had for the first time ever all matches um, of the Bundesliga uh, being broadcast live um, but it wasn't um, so easily available because it was pay TV um, it's pay TV um, magenta sport and it's not it's not a broadcast that many people really use like The other big football leagues people are watching here are on Sky or the Zone and stuff like that. Um, so you only have like one match a week that is um, easy to watch on TV for everyone. Mm -hmm. um, and then you could also talk about um, kickoff times. Um, they are trying to find ways to uh, not time them parallel to the men's get uh, matches, but sometimes you get the feeling that they don't really care about that a lot at all because um, I think it was when Bayern Munich played Hoffenheim um, this year, um, uh, the women and the men had the same, the same fixture on the same weekend. And they didn't, you, you, there would have been so much you could have done uh, to really use uh, the biggest stadium, the men's stadium in Hoffenheim and um, get the crowd in there and just do a lot. But yeah, they, they wouldn't do that because they didn't want to change the kickoff time accordingly. And with the national team, um, it's the same. I know that it's not always just the DFB's fault because a lot is also also on the um, public broadcasters, um, IRD and ZDF were like, yeah, well, we don't, uh, we don't want to broadcast the game, the matches um, of the German national team on um, evening TV where a lot of people would see it. But if it's an evening time, it's almost always just a live stream um, that people tend to miss, uh, miss out on. Or most of the time, really, um, it's just afternoon games in the middle of the week, like when most people are working or kids are still in school um, or, I don't know, people are going to university or whatever, but not really a time where you would watch football. So yeah, that's, that's the whole visibility topic. Um, that's a problem um, because if you were, um, I don't know, just have different kickoff times that are more accessible to people um, and have broadcasts that are more accessible to people that would also have a positive effect on people going to the stadiums. Uh, most of the stadiums in the league are very small. Um, just as an example, because I know the number there um, in Bayern Munich, the campus, uh, they are usually playing it. I think they can have 2,500 people in their max. Um, so it's really not that big at all. And <clears throat> the most of the time these small stadiums aren't even full <laughs> um we um in essen i'm i'm supporting uh, the sks essen we have a we have a bigger stadium because it's the city stadium and we kind of um, share it with the bigger men's club um, here in the city um so that's a bigger one um which looks really cool um, at first, but then when you realize that it's only like 10% full or something, that's just not, that's just not a good feeling. So, no. yeah. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully we see, 
changes in Germany and in, in, in everywhere, really. I mean, there was, you know, to, to, to go back to the WSL and, the, and Arsenal Chelsea, Arsenal played Chelsea in an FA Cup semi-final a week ago and it was sold out, but it was sold out in front mm. of, again, a few thousand people. And it was good that the game was sold out and Arsenal don't usually sell out um, where they play at Boreham Wood. But if it, they are selling out now, then obviously conversations need to be had about putting them in bigger stadiums and putting them there more often to allow as many people as possible to, to go and watch these big matches, especially. You wrote back to the game and we, we've all seen this from Barcelona uh, how many times now over the past couple of years. You wrote before the game, um, you previewed the both semifinals and you mm-hmm. said Wolfsburg, their best chance was to press high, to press aggressively, to, to attack quickly and efficiently. But we immediately just saw how... There is no perfect way to play against Barcelona, right? Because you you do that, and even if you can do it well, sometimes there's they'll find where the space is. And over and over again, all, all four of the first four goals came from a ball in behind, and and there were more chances that came from those situations as well. Was this a matter of Wolfsburg not executing the plan quite well enough, or just <laughs> Barcelona's quality being way too high? Um, yeah, I think it's um, um, it's a bit of both because, of course, even if you have a perfectly executed press um, and you have technical players to keep the ball, um, it's still very, very difficult against them. But I also was uh, very unhappy with how Wolfsburg actually played um, because if you're playing with a high line a high back line like they did um, you definitely need your forward players to do a lot of work uh, to bring pressure um, on on the ball to not give their opponents too much time on the ball um, for those passes in in behind like you said um, but they didn't they didn't do that um, consequently and another problem was how they tried to kind of set up um, 1v1 um, instead of covering certain spaces. So they were trying to uh, to really follow along with their opponent players that they had, but because Barcelona moved so much around, they um, were constantly being pulled out of position by Barcelona. Um, And you could really see how... Yeah, how that started to confuse them more and more. Like they didn't know when to pass on their opponent player to their teammates um, and step back in line. Um, and that was a huge problem for them. Um, they did improve a little bit on that in the second half, but yeah, overall it was just not not good and not uh, well executed press. Yeah, well, we saw this. We saw the same way, the the same approach against Arsenal, and it worked perfectly. Um, but you have to really make everything go absolutely perfectly to make it work against Barcelona. How big of a miss was was Lena Oberdorf, who, when you talk about being aggressive and pressing and putting your foot in and really making life uncomfortable for opposition players who have possession? is so so good in in the middle of the park for Wolfsburg or do you think that because of the high line because of the ball going over the top or or through defenders and that Barcelona movement do you think she wouldn't have made much of a difference anyway um I don't think that she alone would have saved Wolfsburg from losing the game 
but they still missed her a lot i think because um as you said um, she's very she's very physical um she's uh, got the ability to read a game as well and just cover up huge areas in midfield like that um but um what's a bit less noted about her is that she's also got the technical ability to progress a ball um and that was also something that wolfsburg i thought were really missing that when when they did manage to win the ball back they just lost it almost immediately again because uh not not always because of um, lack of technical abilities, but also because they just didn't position themselves well for that as well. There, um, I mean, Barcelona, they always want to have the ball, right? I mean, we all <laughs> know this kind of uh, style of play. Um, so when they lose the ball, they counterpress themselves and Bosberg, they weren't ready for that. And I think that's a point where Oberdorf would have could have made a big difference for them because with her physicality and her technicality, she just, um, yeah, could have uh, uh, withstood this press sometimes. We we talked about Barcelona so many times. We talk and we will continue to talk about Barcelona. Would they go into the second leg? They'll go into the final, presumably now. Um, so about Wolfsburg, this has been a good season right after you know they, they've had some key injuries they didn't win the Bundesliga title last year and it looks like everything's kind of back on track yeah I think um, overall they can be really happy with the season because they just had such a huge change in their squad and with a new coach as well in uh, Tommy Stroth um, coming in uh, last summer and in the first half of the season you could really see that they were kind of a bit struggling uh, with all of those changes which is just natural of course because if um, there's so many changes you just need to adjust and bring things together before they can uh, start working again and that's what we saw um yeah in in the second half of the season up until now really uh that things are just starting to work out for them now and players even though they they were missing um, important players on injuries um, you had the feeling that they could really um, as a team um, kind of act against that and um, still bring in their style of play so I think it's been this kind of season for them where you um, kind of set the foundation for the future because obviously <laughs> as we saw in the Barcelona game there's still uh, a lot of room for improvement um, both in defense and in offense um, but I think it's a good foundation they have and I'm really excited to see what they will bring on next season um, and what Tommy Stroh also will bring on next season um, and I'm also a bit uh, surprised because when I, I don't know, when I started looking at them last summer, I was like, yeah, um, it's going to be one of those seasons for them, but I didn't really imagine them to bring on this kind of uh, change and improvement so quickly as they did. So that's really good for them. And as you say, it's like last year they hit the refresh button. They're already maybe ahead of where you would have expected less than 12 months on and ahead of next season Merle Froms is coming in in goal Jule Brandt is maybe the biggest young talent in all of Germany and is arriving from Hoffenheim and today it was also confirmed that Marina Hegering 
uh, from Bayern is going to join and strengthen the defense. So, yeah, I mean, these these feel like really, really big steps to establish themselves again as the clear number one in Germany, but also a team that can go and really compete for the Champions League every season. Um, yeah, for the Champions League, I don't know. I think um, uh, not to disrespect the, the individual players, they are all talented and very good. But I think what's lacking for the Champions League for Wolfsburg isn't really um, individual quality as much as it just tactical tactical things that they need to improve on. And that can take a bit of time um, because you can train certain things in preseason but then when when the season is going and you maybe get injuries or other problems that may arise it can be a bit difficult to progress your style of play so that will probably take them a bit longer also because um they have very talented young players in their ranks and they just need to get the experience and improve. Um, but yeah, these uh, signings that they already made, um, of course, are very amazing for them, um, especially Jule Brandt, um, who's really a huge talent. Um, she's got very good pace. She's very speedy, but she's also got this... Um, yeah, instinct kind of to know in uh, to know where to run um, to beat uh, to beat the opponent's defense, um, and that really makes her so good and so dangerous. And I'm very excited to see what uh, what she will um, develop like um, when she's in a big club like that. The the one last thing that I wanted to talk to you about in terms of the Frauen Bundesliga was the the re-rise, if you like, of Tabina Potsdam, a huge name in the women's game and been sidelined kind of over the years by the those those clubs coming in with this high financial power behind them, Wolfsburg, Bayern, obviously. But they're right back up there again this season. They're third in the league. They're six points behind Bayern, seven points behind Wolfsburg. That's despite losing Selena Cherchi, who was the top scorer in the league, to injury. Um think about a month ago now they've kept on winning anyway do you think this is sustainable for Turbina and yeah I mean what's the what's the limit for them realistically when all of the other clubs have such huge financial backing that could be available to them yeah, um, I think it will be difficult for them. I mean, I'm very happy to see them up there um, as this club with a very long history um, in the women's game. Um, but yeah, I think financially it could be tough for them in the future because um, you have uh, Frankfurt, um, formerly um, Erster FFC Frankfurt, but now uh, for the second season Eintracht Frankfurt, like because they joined the uh, the men's club, um, and they are, I think, in the next years together with Hoffenheim probably their biggest rivals um, in terms to get this third spot that would bring them to the Champions League qualifications um, because Hoffenheim as we see with them um, having to let go of the likes of Jule Brandt but also other players they don't seem to bring this next level financially where they're like okay um, 
we uh, ri uh, raise the budget a bit and we actually try to keep our best players that we developed here. Um, so for now they are all leaving. Um, and then Frankfurt is very different. Um, Frankfurt, they had to let go of Malifrobes, but they are constantly, um, Ah, what's it in English? They extend their contracts of their players, of their best players. I mean, there's nearly no week where there's not the next, uh, not the next contract extension. And Potsdam, I don't know. I don't think they can do it on that level. They, um, in my book, are very good at scouting and um, finding those players that can really take them to the next level. Like for this season, um, when they brought in Tenensun uh, Sisoko, um, who's just really good for them um, in defense, uh, also in playing out from the back, um, but also other players um, they brought in, um, like the home guard sisters, for example. Um, but yeah, I don't know financially if they will manage to keep up. I think it will depend on whether they can, um, if they if they should qualify for the Champions League. Mm -hmm. um, it depends a bit on if that brings in more sponsors for them and maybe maybe a bit of change of mind um, set in the club as well to uh, find ways to modernize the structures that they have. I, I mean, personally, on a very personal level, I think it would be fantastic if they can because it's yeah one of the shames of the women's game growing that we're losing, and I think that's not unique to any country. I think that's happening everywhere. Teams that did lead the way for a really long time, maybe a decade or so ago, um, are now dropping off as the, the rich teams and the names that we're all used to from the men's game are just investing yeah. more and more. Um, lastly, and to, to return, I guess, to some of those bigger names that we're all more familiar with on a really global level, the semi-finals, I mean, I, do, I think we can safely say that Barcelona will be in the Champions <laughs> League final again. Um, mm. PSG Lyon, given the way that you said you think Lyon defended well from the front against PSG and the way that you thought Wolfsburg could maybe cause Barcelona some issues... Am I safe to assume that you think Lyon could give Barcelona the best game if they reach the final? Um, yeah, I mean, I would be very excited to see this. Um, and I think it's the final we will see because I'm, I mean, I'm not a hundred percent sure that Lyon will go through, but like, like 85% sure that they will go through. Um, because I don't think that PSG can, uh, endanger them <laughs> in in that way or, or score against them um in uh often enough um to really kick them out so yeah um i think seeing barca against lyon would be really interesting also um because i'm i don't know i just find um sonia bompastor and what she's done with the club really exciting um it's something i can't really put my finger on um exactly for now because i haven't seen them that much because i can't see the french league as much as i would like um but yeah i think that would be a very um, exciting final and i still think that barcelona would be uh, favored to win but um, I don't think it will be easy for them because Lyon definitely has this clever style of play where they can really 
they can really bring on the pressure. And I don't think that Barcelona is as um, safe and settled in defense um, oftentimes as you would think um, if you are really um, going against them in a good way. I mean, even Wolfsburg in the, the second half, um, in the last phase of the game, managed to at least bring uh, bring them uh, into their defense a little bit. So, yeah, I'm excited to see that. <laughs> Annika, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I hope it's not the last time. Um, for the meantime, where can people find you and where can people find your work? Um, yeah, well, as you said, I'm writing for the German um, One Football mostly. Um, and if you want to find me on Twitter, that's um, at Annika underscore BE. Um, and yeah, that's that's the only social media I have. <laughs> and other than that, um, I can only say thanks for the invite. Um, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> Thank you again. And thanks to everybody for listening um stay tuned because we'll be back next week when we know who the champions league finalists are <laughs>